All right, well, there was supposed to be audio for that. <laughs> Although sometimes, I guess, I guess it's good to sit and reflect and sit in the silence. But um, there, wa there was, I didn't plan to just have you sit and stare at pictures, but that's um, a glimpse of some of the things that have, has been happening um, here since I've been here. Um, I've had the privilege of serving not only your teenagers, but also your first through fourth graders. And I, I've just really loved the opportunity to serve your children, um, to serve your grandchildren. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this church. And um, in our second service, we're going to be honoring our grads. I've gotten the, over the last five months to get to know some of the grads. And we have 11 students graduating this year. And so it's just cool to see some of the things that, that God has already done in all of their lives. And um, so... Um, we will get to honor our grads in the second service, but um, it's just such a great church, such a great teenagers. They've obviously had a, a great youth pastor for the last seven years because of just seeing the character that these graduates have and how much they love God, how much they care about people. So today I have the privilege of sharing with you the word. And so we're going to, if you've brought your Bibles, be in the book of Hebrews the entire time. And so you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and just keep it kind of a place marker there because that's where we're going to be all day. Before we get started, why don't we pray? God, thank you for your love. Help us to win the race. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm, like I said, I'm Pastor Jim, and I'm here. Um, I'm all the way from Niagara Falls, for those of you who are wondering or hadn't met me before. And um, like I said, I'm so grateful for the chance to share. And as I've, I've been here, I've gotten to know the pastoral staff. And one of the pastors um, is Pastor Barton, who you all know. He really loves to run. Is there any other runners here? Anyone else that loves to run? Pastor Varda might be the only one. He comes in, he's like, he's like, I started my day at 5.30 and I ran like four miles. And I'm like, I started my day at 8.30 and showered for five minutes and rushed to church. <laughs> but there, there was a time in my life where I used to run when I was in college. I would run and I would run maybe five or six miles. But now I think I use my couch and, and eat potato chips more than I run on the treadmill and wear my running shoes. But there was a time in my life where I ran a lot, and the most I've ever run is eight miles. And I thought that that was pretty far. I thought that that was a pretty far length to run. But it was nothing in comparison to these ultra marathons they used to have in Australia. They, in Australia, they, they started this thing called an ultra marathon in 1983, where they would run not eight miles, but let me get this right, 543.7 miles. Yeah, that kind of like blows my eight miles out of the water. <laughs> That's like the warm-up. And so, so what, what they would do is they would run from Sydney to Melbourne. Now, if you're like me, you have no idea what that actually means. So I looked up what it would be like for us if we were running today. So if we were to go back to my hometown in Niagara Falls and we were to sprint to New York City, we'd get to New York City, we'd catch our breath, and then still have to run to Philadelphia. And so we'd run from, and we'd get to Philadelphia and we'd start to breathe and then we would look and we'd see that we have 50 more miles to run. I don't want to drive that distance, let alone try to run it. And yet the, they had racers all around the world trying to run this race. They wanted to, to, to do this marathon. It was considered the toughest race in the world. 543.7 miles. It's ridiculous. And so everyone knew that to be able to run this race, you had to be a world-class athlete. Not just some normal, ordinary person could get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to run 
three miles today. <laughs> even, I don't even think Pastor Barton, the amount he runs, could just get up and run 543 miles right off, you know, waking up. And so these world-class athletes would train and train and train. And in my mind, when I picture them training, maybe it's because I went to college in Philadelphia, but in my mind, when I was reading the story, I just pictured like a scene from Rocky where like he's running over benches and he's jumping up and down and like lifting weights and like some Corny's 80 music is playing in the background. And so all these trainers or all these athletes were training really hard to get in peak, or I'm sorry, um, peak physical condition to run this race. And these athletes were so like great athletes that they actually had sponsors like Nike and big companies. And so this was like a really big deal. It was a really big race. Everyone knew that only a world-class athlete could run this race. Well, everyone knew that, but a guy named Cliff Young. So all these, all these young world-class athletes, um, it's the day of the race, and they're, they're doing what world-class athletes do. They're probably stretching, signing autographs, getting ready to run this race. And up walks a 61-year-old toothless man in gumboots and overalls. And so he walks up and he's about, and he walks up and people are kind of confused. Like maybe this old guy kind of lost his mind and didn't know what he was doing. Maybe he wasn't really here to run the race. And so he walks up to the registration table and he says that he's not here by accident, but that he's here to run the race. And he's not just here to run it, but he's here to win it. So if you're a reporter and you see a 61-year-old come up with gumboots and overalls, you're probably going to go check out the story. And so a bunch of reporters went over and they started questioning Cliff Young and asking him what he was there for, what, what he thought he was going to do. They wanted to get the background. Maybe he used to be some superb athlete. And what he tells them is this, he's, his whole life he's been a potato farmer. And so, and when he's not um, farming potatoes, whatever that looks like, I don't know what that looks like, he, he likes to spend his spare time. And this is really weird. And if you do this, I'm sorry. But his spare time, he liked to chase sheep what? Like this guy is a little woohoo. <laughs> and so he chases sheep in his spare time. And they asked him, well, maybe he had like this elite trainer. So they're like, who was your trainer to help you prepare? And he said, I was trained by the best, my 81-year-old mother. <laughs> and, so, and so he's getting ready to run this race. And I'm sure everyone had to laugh at the thought that this guy thought that he could win the race. And so the, all the runners get up to the, the start line and Cliff Young joins them and they all get set and ready to take off and the gun fires and they start running. And as they're running, they, they take off and they leave Cliff Young in the dust. Cliff Young is in, in last place and the people try hard not to laugh, those watching, as they see that Cliff Young even runs funny. Not only is he old, but he doesn't know how to run. He runs, normal runners would run with like, with like good form, but he was shuffling from side to side. And so they, they, they laughed and they felt sorry for this old man that didn't even know how to run. And so for this race, because it was so long, you don't run 543 miles straight. Only a crazy person would do that. So you would run for 18 hours, sleep for six, run for 18 hours, sleep for six. And, and it was a way to conserve energy because you couldn't make it all the way through. Only a crazy person would try to run it straight through. Well, luckily for Cliff Young, he was in fact very crazy. He decided that he was going to run the race without stopping. And so after two days, Cliff Young was still in the back, but he was making ground. And after, as he got midway into the race, he started catching up. And slowly but surely, Cliff Young started to take the lead. Crazy Cliff Young started taking the lead. 
And so after five days, 15 hours, and four minutes of nonstop running, Cliff Young did it. The 61-year-old potato farmer won the race. And not only did he win the race, but he set a new world record. See, this race, it was the first official race, but there had been unofficial races before. And the best athlete unofficially ran that race in seven days. He ran it in five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. Cliff Young won the race with his Cliff Young shuffle. And so people began to, to ask and look in to see how could someone that's 61 be able to do things that most 20-year-olds can't do? How could someone like Cliff Young win the race? And so they began to examine him, and it turns out that the very thing that they made fun of was the thing that helped him win the race. See, Cliff's young shuffle, though it looked funny, was the most aerodynamic and kept the least amount of wind resistance on, his, on him as he ran. He was running with less of a burden than everyone else around him was running. Though it looked different, he was running in the best way because it was reducing the burden that all the other people had to run with. And so because of that, he was able to win the race. Now, the, his Cliff Young Shuffle, which it's called, I, you guys, if you don't believe me, the, um, I've told the story to Allison before, and she didn't believe me, so she looked it up, and it is true. And, and by the way, one of, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but one of my favorite, I don't know if you saw that, but it, it, it's quoted that he likes to take out his teeth when he runs because they jiggle. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> That's completely free, has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was funny. And so, and so his, the Cliff Young shuffle became famous, and, and three other runners won the, that same race after he did, do, you, I'm sorry, using the Cliff Young shuffle. The Cliff Young shuffle helped him win the race because he ran the race with less resistance. He, run the, he ran the race with less of a burden than all the other runners. And everyone here today, just like Cliff Young, is running a race. Whether you're, you're, you're young or old or, or, or been a Christian your whole life or have never even thought about God, you're running a race. And for our, our seniors today, they're, they're starting a new phase in the race. But everyone here is running the race. And so the question isn't, are we running the race? But the question is, how are we going to run it? Are we going to run it like the world-class athletes? Are we going to run it like everyone else runs, the way that everyone else tells us to do it? Are we going to run the, the race the way the world says is normal? Or are we going to put on our gumboots and overalls and do the Cliff Young shuffle? Are we going to run the race with the same burden that everyone else around us runs with? Are we going to run free of that burden? We're all running a race. The question is, how are we going to run it? In Hebrews chapter 12, Verse, verse 1, it says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So this book of Hebrews was a letter written to this church that was around in around 70 A.D., now, Christianity is new. This church is new. Christianity as a whole is less than 100 years old. And so everything is very new. They're experiencing everything for the first time. And all these people used to be a part of this Jewish culture. So their friends were Jewish. Their family was Jewish. Their neighbors were Jewish. Their boss was Jewish. Everyone around them was Jewish. And when they accepted Christ, they were removed from their community. When they accepted Christ, it be, their life began to get a little tougher 
because they were no longer a part of the Jewish community. The Jewish community thought that this religion was kind of like a cult. So the Jewish people are thinking that their friends that accept Christ are now cult members and they want nothing to do with them. Could you imagine if everyone around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your boss, um, your, your kids, if everyone around you wanted nothing to do with you because you came to church today, how would that make you feel? Could you imagine if you left church this, this morning and went home and your kids were there and they didn't want anything to do with you, didn't want to talk to you, or your parents disowned you, your brothers and sisters didn't want anything to do with you, or your neighbors, because they saw you go to church, want you to move out of the neighborhood because you're polluting the neighborhood. You're making the, 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 the suburbs not as nice with your presence. Or your, your boss is wanting you to, to find a new place to work because you went to church today. It's kind of hard to imagine because we don't face those kinds of things. But that is what was going on in the church that this letter was written to. And so they're at this point where they're saying, this isn't what I signed up for. The race is too tough. I don't know if I want to follow this Christ guy because the race is so tough. They saw all the outside things. They saw the wind resistance, and they saw all the things going on, all the pressures pushing on their life, and they said that this is too much. I can't win this race. And they were on a point where they were almost willing to give up their faith. The book of Hebrews describes this church as one that, that is is, is about to um, fade away or, or fall away from the faith. They're ones that are, are at this moment of, a, uh, they're at a crucial moment in time where they have to decide, will they follow God or will they, they go back to their old ways? And, and the whole time their thought is the race is too tough. And so Apollos, who's the guy who most likely wrote this letter, sends them a letter at the most crucial point in their church, their short church history. Apollos, um, who wrote this letter, sees this church at his breaking point. So he sits and he passionately scribes a 13-chapter letter, which is a really long letter to just write somebody. But he writes this 13-chapter letter of, of hope and of, and of pointing them to their hope and helping them to endure the race, helping them to continue moving forward. And so he writes down this message of hope, and he shows them that they serve an all-powerful God who loves them. And he tells them to persevere. He, he talks about this, this all-powerful God for, for a bunch of chapters and then goes into chapter 11 and says, look at all these people who had faith and endured. And then finally in chapter 12, he does something different. He flips the perspective of these people. See, this whole time they had been thinking, the race is too tough. I can't run this race because being a Christian is too tough. And what he says is, it's not the race that's too tough. It's the way that you're running it. It's not the race that's too tough, but it's the fact that you're running it with all these unnecessary burdens. And his heart was that they would let go of these burdens and grab a hold of the gospel or the message that Jesus Christ died and that we can have, if we have faith in him, we can have hope. So we, they were struggling because they had their minds or their eyes fixed on the wrong thing, and because of that, they had grabbed unnecessary burdens. They were losing the race, not because the race was too tough, but because of the way they were running it. We are all running a race with all this extra weight. Um, um, and so we are, we're all here and we all are running the race, like I said. The question is, are we going to run it with this extra weight? Or are we going to allow Christ to free us of these burdens that keep us from winning the race? Even though Apollos was writing to people 2,000 years ago, even though our world is completely different, we have iPads and cars and, and um, you know, um, 
you name it, we have it, internet, everything, even though there's so many different cultural things, ultimately we still struggle with the same thing that these people were struggling with 2,000 years ago. We all have a similar heart problem where we struggle with running the race because we struggle with fixing our eyes on Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on the things of this world, and so we get caught up and we get caught down and we get burdened and we say, God, the race is too tough. When he looks at us and says, it's not the race that's too tough. It's the way that you're running it. See, we run the race like, like all the world-class athletes, or basically like the world tells us. There's a set way that the world tells us that, that we should run the race. The world tells us that our hope is here on this earth, that our hope is here on this earth, and so that if you have these things, your life will be good. If you have this going on in your family, your life will be good. If you're a good person here on earth, your life will be good and you'll be saved. And so the world tells us that everything we do should center around the things here on earth because our hope is here on this earth. And so a lot of us, we buy into that and we, we say that we're Christians because we have like a head knowledge that Jesus is God, but we still don't allow him to be our savior. We get caught up running the race the way everyone around us runs it, even those that don't say they're Christians, because we run the race with our eyes fixed on the things of the world, hoping that they will save us. And what Apollos told those people and what, and what Christ wants us all to do today is to not run the race focusing on the things of this earth, but running the race with our hope on Jesus Christ, grabbing hold of the gospel message that he died for us so that we could have hope. We're all running the race with these unnecessary burdens unless we fix our eyes on Jesus. So I think for most of us, we, run, we start the race with good intentions. We put on like our running shoes and we, and we stretch and we take off and we want to keep our, fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to look to heaven and fix our eyes on Jesus and to make him be our savior. But along the way, as we experience life, we get distracted. And so we, we start to grab a hold of things that are not from God. And Apollos in the section talks about these things as hindrances. Now, he, he's, he clarifies and distinguishes the difference between things that hinder us or burden us and things that are in the sins that entangle us. So these things aren't sinful in and of themselves. These things aren't inherently wrong. And a lot of times they're things that God wants us to have. God wants us to have. But we allow them to become a God in our life. And so they start to burden us. We start to fix our eyes on them and not on God. And so we start to struggle as we run this race. For, for a lot of you here today, it's, it's, it's your children. Now, your children or, or maybe your grandchildren, but you, you have, you, you've had kids or grandkids, which is, is a good thing, which God wants us to do. And, and we start to, to love our kids so much, though, that they become the center of our lives. And so we add on this weight to our lives. And so now we're running the race, not just focusing our eyes on God, but we've added a burden to where our life is centered around our kids. We, ha we add another God to our lives. Now, what are you saying? I, we should, it, did I just say, go home and don't love your kids? No, that's not what I said. If you go home and don't love your kids, then that's, that's not good. But what it's saying is that it becomes the center of our lives to where we say, as long as we have our kids, as long as our kids are happy, as long as our kids love us, I'll be okay. It doesn't matter what happens around us, but as long as I, my, I feel loved by my kids, my kids feel loved by me, nothing else matters as long as my kids are succeeding and love me. And what, we say, what we're saying is that our kids become our gods. Our kids become our saviors, not Jesus. And so we get so caught up in saying our, only if our, as long as our kids are happy, we're saved. 
What we're ultimately saying is, Jesus, you're not the only God in my life. My kids are also a God in my life. Some of you, though, you might grab a hold of something different that'll weigh you down, which could be like the idea for success or your job, or or maybe if you're a student, um, getting good grades or succeeding on the sports field or whatever that may be. But sometimes we add the burden of desiring success or money or, or things like that. And again, work is not bad. God wants us to work. But we begin to, it becomes a burden when we place our hope in our jobs. Where we say, no matter what happens in this world, as long as I have my job, as long as I'm making money, as long as I have money, I'll be okay. And so what we're saying is, our job, our success, our money is our God and not Jesus and so we start to fix our eyes on our kids. We fix our eyes on our, our, our jobs. Another thing that we can fix our eyes on is entertainment. And this is probably a lot for, more for the younger people, where we, we say that it, all the, it doesn't matter how bad the day is. It doesn't matter how rough work is. I'll be okay as long as my favorite show is on when I get home. Or maybe, or maybe for some of you, it's the, your favorite sports team. As long as they're doing good, my life can be okay. As long as they're entertaining me, my life will be okay. Or, or maybe it's something like, as long as I could go hunting or fishing this weekend, I can get through the week because this will, as long as I have this, I'll be okay. And where you say, it doesn't matter all the junk that happens around me, as long as I have the show, the sports team to watch, um, this hunting or my, my, or my fishing pole or whatever, as long as I have this, my life will be okay. But what we're saying is our hope is not in God. Our hope is in the entertainment, the things that we enjoy. And so we add that to our life, and we have another thing that's hindering us. We add another God into our lives beyond Jesus Christ, and so it slows us down. And maybe finally, and this, this is one that I personally always, always struggle with, is, is the idea of relationships. That if I just have enough friends and if people like me, my life will be okay. As long as I have lots of friends, as long as I can hang out with them a lot, as long as I have those things in my life, my life will be okay. As long, or maybe even as long as I have the, someone in the opposite sex, of the opposite sex who loves me, my life will be okay. And we say no matter what happens around us, my life will be okay as long as I have that. And what we're saying is our relationships become our God. And so all these things are good things. The Bible wants us to have kids. It says, go forth and multiply. The Bible wants us to work. That's something that happened before the fall. The Bible wants us to to love others. And the the Bible wants us to have joy and enjoy his creation. All these things are good. But what we do is we buy into the philosophy of the world where these things become our hope and our salvation. Where if these things are taken away, our lives are wrecked because these things are the things that save us and not Jesus Christ. What is the most important thing in your life? What are your eyes fixed on? Is, 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 can you say that it doesn't matter if I have any of these things as long as I have Jesus, I'm okay? Is Jesus your true salvation? Or have you made these other gods? Have you made your kids your gods? Have you made your, have you made your job your god? Have you made the entertainment your, your god or your relationships your god? See, oftentimes these things become the center of our life and not Christ and not his, and our hope is found in these things and not in our hope that Jesus Christ died for us and that we could have freedom in him. And so because these things are our gods, because we're focused on these things, the Bible tells us that we begin to get entangled with sin. See, we worship these things and we serve these things. We worship and serve our kids, our jobs, our, our, our entertainment, our, our friends, our relationships. We serve these things. And because we serve these things, we begin to obey them and, do, and place these ahead of God. And therefore, we begin to sin. 
And so not only are we running with, with this extra weight because our eyes are not fixed on God, but we also begin to get entangled with sin. And so we, because our children are our gods, we begin to sin within our marriages to where we value our kids more than anything, but we stop valuing our marriages and husbands stop loving their wives like Christ loved the church and wives stop loving their husbands. And so they begin to get angry and they begin to sin. And so we get entangled with the sin as we make our kids our God. Or maybe our jobs becomes our God, and so we're willing to do anything to succeed. We'll compromise our integrity. We'll compromise our morals. It doesn't matter, um, as long, whatever it takes to make the most money. And so we get entangled by that sin. Or maybe if you're a student, you're willing to cheat or you're willing to play dirty in your sport, whatever it does, or whatever it takes to be successful. And so we, get, we start getting entangled in that sin. Or maybe you're here and it's and entertainment's your thing and you started watching television and stuff, but you're just not getting fulfilled. It leaves you empty. So you start looking at things and watching things you know you shouldn't. And so you start to become entangled in, the sin, in that sin. Or maybe some of you here, if, if you've made your relationships your God, you start saying, I will compromise my, my, my morals. I will give up the things I know to be right to maintain these relationships with my friends or with the opposite sex. And so we start to get entangled. And so we, we, ha we have our eyes fixed on something that's not Jesus. We've, we've made these other things that are inherently good, but we make them our God so they become bad. And we start doing these things not for, for God's glory, but we do them for our own salvation. And so because we have these burdens and these are our gods, we begin to become entangled with the sin as we worship them. And we're entangled with sin and we're burdened with these things that hinder us. And then life starts to get tough. And so we're running and we say, God, it's too hard. We can't run the race. We can't move forward. And we say, Jesus, the race that you have for us is too tough. Being a Christian is too tough. I go to church on Sundays. I believe that you're real, but yet this race is too tough and we want to give up. When God is looking at us saying, why are you running the race with these burdens? Why are you running the race entangled in sin? Why aren't your eyes fixed on me? We feel hopeless. We feel stuck. We think that our religion doesn't save us. And ultimately that's true because the things that we follow aren't God. The things that we serve and love are not God, but become these things of the world. Our hope is not in the salvation that Jesus Christ has for us, but our hope becomes in the thing of the world. And so we're stuck and we're entangled. But Apollos doesn't leave us off. How, how, how much of a bummer would it be if you, it ended there? You're entangled with sin and you're hindered. Sorry, it's going to stink. No, Apollos doesn't leave us there. But he talks about a way that we can not only become untangled, but he says we can throw off the burdens. He talks of a message of hope. Now, but, now earlier in the book, I'd really encourage you to read the book of Hebrews because it's so awesome. But earlier in the book, he talks about how great our God is. He says that Jesus is greater than the greatest person on earth. Jesus is greater than all the angels. Jesus is greater than any other fake God that you could worship. It says that Jesus is the greatest of all. He's so powerful and he loves you so much. He says Jesus is so great and he describes how awesome and powerful our God is. And he tells us this. He tells us that our hope is in the fact that he came to this earth. He says this. He says that we get this power of, of, fix, of fixing our eyes on Jesus. We get this power of removing all this stuff by fixing our eyes on Jesus and embracing the gospel message, which is his sacrifice. He says this. He says in Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, let us run with perseverance the mark, or the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul has described how great God is, and, and, and he leads up after chapters of showing how great God is and showing us that we need to have faith in him. He says, you don't have to grow weary. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to lose heart. But there is a hope for us. He sa- what he's saying is the race isn't too tough. We have a hope, but the question is, how are we going to run it? How are we going to run the race? Will we fix our eyes on Jesus? Jesus Christ came to this world because we were bound by sin. Before Jesus came, there was no hope. No matter what, we were going to make other things our gods. And once we did that, there was no way for us to break the chains that were around us. We were forever going to be entangled with sin. There was nothing we could do to to break these chains. There was, you couldn't be good enough. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't give enough money to church. There was nothing you could do to break these chains. And so Jesus Christ, knowing that we had no hope, that we were forever entangled in sin because we had made other things our gods beyond him, came to this earth to make a way so that we could be forgiven. Jesus Christ came and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. The Bible tells us that he died and he rose again. And in doing that, Jesus made a way for all of us to break these chains Jesus made a way for us to no longer have to be entangled with sin. And the way he, he said is to, the way we do that is by having faith in him, by embracing the gospel and saying, Jesus, we believe you're God and we will fix our eyes on you. We don't have to run the race entangled. We don't have to run the race weighed down anymore because Christ made a way for all of us. And yet so many of us here today are running the race tied up in chains and hindered with these other things that we've made God. And we're sitting here today, and maybe you've thought recently, this religion isn't working. This God thing isn't working. My life is too tough, and it's, it's not what I signed up for. You might be here thinking, God, why, why, where are you? Why is my life so devastated? And it might be not because the race is so hard. It might not be that life is so hard or following Christ is so hard, but it might be, the answer might be the way you're running it. See, if, if your salvation is in your kids or your job or, 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 or people or entertainment, those will all let you down. We, we have settled for saviors that can't actually save us. Your kids will grow up. One day they'll, they'll move out of the house, hopefully. My dad couldn't wait till I got out. But, um, <laughs> but your kids will eventually move on and start their new families. Um, and so if your hope is in your kids, at one point they're going to grow up and they'll still be your kids, but they'll move on and they could let you down. And, and if your hope is in your job, I mean, look at the economy we're living with. No, no one's job is safe. If your hope is in your job, that could be taken away. If your hope is in status, that could be taken away. If your hope is in money, you could lose it all. Or, or if your hope is in entertainment, every, every type of entertainment is temporary, and you always need more and more and more. There's no way that entertainment can sustain and save you. And if your hope is in others, your hope is in imperfect people that can let you down. All these things that are our saviors can let us down. And the reason that we feel like our faith is is not working, the reason we feel like life is too tough, the reason we want to give up is because Christ hasn't become our true savior. 
See, if Christ is our true Savior, if Christ is the thing that our eyes are fixed on, then we can say that it doesn't matter what else happens in our lives. As long as we have Jesus, we're okay. It doesn't matter what happens on earth. Our hope is found in what Jesus did on the cross. And so if our kids turn our, their backs on us, we're okay because our hope is still on the cross and that never changes. If, if we lose our job, we can say, I'm still okay because my hope is in Jesus, which never changes. If, if the entertainment we lose, we don't have enough money to, to buy entertainment, we can still say our hope is in God and so we're okay because that never changes. Or if we say our hope is in our relationships, if we lose friends or lose loved ones, we can still say our lives will be okay because our hope and our salvation is found in Jesus. And so many of you today are struggling with running the race, not because the race is too tough, because your eyes are fixed on the wrong things and you're running with unneeded burdens and you're running entangled with sin. And so I would like us to think today, as I'm going to have the worship team come on up, I want us to just focus in on how are we running the race. Are you running the race today bound with unnecessary hindrances and entangled in sin, or are you running with your eyes focused on Jesus? For some of you here today, what fixing your eyes on Jesus will look like is, is, is different. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ in your lives today. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've been here a lot of times but never accepted Christ. And the way that you fix your eyes on Jesus is very simple. It's to believe that he is the only Lord, to confess with your mouth that you've sinned, and to, and to give him control of your life. And, and so you might have been here your whole life running this race, and you think that life is too tough. Well, Christ has made a way so that you don't have to be bound by these things anymore. Or maybe you're here and you've, you've been going to church your whole life. You, you, you love God. And, uh, uh, but somewhere along the way, you've taken your eyes from him. Somewhere along the way, life has happened and other things have become your God. And, and, and today, the way that what you need to do is to begin to repent and to begin to, to rededicate your life and say, God, I will make you the Lord of my life again. Think about it. Is there anything in your life that, is, that could, if it was taken, would forever wreck your life? If it was taken away from you? If, if there is something in, that can be taken from your life and would, and would wreck your faith in God, would wreck your faith, um, faith that he died for you and that he's real, and that's probably, some, that's probably something that's a God in your life. To run the race, it, again, it's to run the race. It, um, we're all on a race, but to win the race, we must not focus on how tough the race is, but begin to allow God to free us of the, the entanglement of sin and the burdens of false gods. With everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I'd like to encourage you. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, of raising hands. I don't usually make people raise hands. But I'd like you guys to, to think in your hearts if God's speaking to you. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you were one of those two people, whether you've accepted Christ before or haven't, you're, and you realize that God is not what your eyes are fixed on, I'd encourage you to pray and to ask him to be the Lord of your life. Because when we fix our eyes on him, we can have freedom. Just think as I pray. I, I asked you a question at the beginning. How are you going to run the race? And I end with the same question today. How are you going to run your, the race? With your eyes focused on God or your eyes on something else? 
I'm going to say a prayer, and then after the prayer, we're going to sing a song called Break Every Chains. And, and it's, it's so fitting because Jesus Christ came here so that we don't have to be bound by these things. And so after I pray, I'd encourage you guys to stand up and, and worship and, and thank the Lord who breaks the chains for us today. God, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all that you've done. God, I pray for those that, that whether they've never accepted you or they've, they've followed you before, but their eyes have shifted and other things have become the gods of their life. I pray, God, that you would help them to fix their eyes on you, a God they can relate to, a God that loves them, a God that died for them. We love you so much, and we're so grateful for who you are. We pray it in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
first verse there is power in the name of Jesus and to break every chain and instead of this time saying to break every chain let's declare you break every chain there is power in the name of Jesus there is power in the name of Jesus there is power You break every chain, 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 break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power I know if I were to ask some of you here this morning if uh, the Lord broke something in your life, we could probably be here all afternoon, you testifying of what God has done for you and uh, delivered you from. And I want you to realize that Christ is greater than any addiction that you have. Christ is greater than anything that you've been struggling with in your life. And, and I think Pastor Jim nailed it today. I think it was just spot on. And amen. Um, really, I think, I think what it is, it's, it's not here. And I, this is what I go away with because I thought Jim made a great point here, Pastor Jim, was it's not necessarily because I think we think our life is, is so burdened sometimes. We think, man, life's so hard, life's so hard. But I think really it's, it's how we're running the race. We're running it the wrong way. We've got our eyes fixed on um, the wrong thing. And because of that, uh, it's become a burden. No, notice where it says, for the joy set before Christ, he endured the suffering of the cross. I, I don't get that, right? How could he endure that? Because there was a joy set in Christ's heart because he knew that he was doing the Father's will. That no matter what he was going through or what faced him he knew that he was ultimately obeying the father and that's the joy that was set place in christ's heart because he knew what it meant for you and i for him pleasing the father that he came to set men free and so for you here today for for those of you that that are, are struggling i just want you to realize that there is power in the name of jesus to break any addiction any stronghold over your life, anything that you've been battling with in your life. And here's, here's the encouraging 
word that the Hebrew writer tells us is this, is that look at the cloud of witnesses that have gone before you, that have made it. And so you have to obviously go to chapter 11 to read the whole list of people that are mentioned there in the Old Testament of those that endured because of their faith. They've, even though they didn't have the promise and they didn't completely know what was going to be fulfilled, they trusted God through their difficult times and they persevered and they were blessed because of it. And so I want to encourage you here today. That's what the church is for. That it, when you get in fellowship with someone else, you, you begin to talk to people and you say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. And, and when you begin to open up your life and become vulnerable and say, you know what, I'm struggling here in my life. I'm struggling with some things in my personal life. I'm struggling with my marriage. I'm struggling in my job. I'm struggling in my thought life. And all of a sudden you begin to talk to somebody else that maybe has gone through those th same things that say, you know what, I've gone through those things and those things are still a battle in my life. Let me encourage you. Let me pray with you so that the Lord can help you to get through this so that we don't have to struggle alone. And that's really the message that the Hebrew writer is saying. He's saying, listen, there's a whole cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. Look to them. Look to see how they made it. And if they made it, you can make it too. And that's how he wrote to encourage you and I so that we can make it in this race that we don't have to have all the stuff that can so easily entangle us and cause us to stop running a race. So let me just encourage you before I let you go today. We're going to, you know, for those of you that, that just um, need prayer today for something, and uh, our, our prayer partners are going to be up here after the service. There's no Sunday school, so I'm going to keep preaching. Uh, there's no Sunday school, so we can take time. But if you really need prayer today, I want to encourage you to take that step after the service and come down and let us just pray with you. Maybe something that you're struggling with that you just need help with and, and just need someone else to pray with you about. Amen. Let me just say, it's okay to not be okay. Okay? <laughs> right? It's so, so become vulnerable and say, God, I need your help here. I am struggling. And when we are vulnerable to one another and we share in one another's struggles. That's how we overcome those battles in our lives. So these things do not overtake us. And so it, it stops us from running the race that Christ has set out before us. Amen. So Lord, we just come before you as your family, as your people that all of us struggle. And Lord, I thank you that it's it, just as Pastor Jim said, it's not necessarily that life is hard. We may just be running it the wrong way. And I pray for every single person in here today that's personally struggling with something in their life that they know is that just it's overwhelming them and they're just and it's become a, a struggle. Lord, I pray that just as the word tells us to do that, we are to look to those who have gone before us and who have persevered. And God, I thank you that Christ Jesus persevered for us, that we don't have to do it ourselves that it's in, strikes, it's in Christ's strength that we can overcome these things that so easily entangle us. It's through his blood, it's through his power that we can overcome these things. But Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the right thing, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who is Christ Jesus. Help us to go to one another, Lord, to be vulnerable, to say I'm struggling and I need someone to pray with me. Help us to take that bold step, not to be alone, not to feel like we're in this battle and the struggle all by ourselves. So Lord, I just, I just pray for any person that's here today that is just struggling with that, that you would encourage them, that you would break that chain, God, and that they would see the power of Christ fulfilled in their very life. 
And so I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for this word, Lord. Uh, I thank you that we're not running this race alone. God, we have each other, and most of all, we have Christ who has run it before us, who has paved the way, who's conquered sin and death, who has taken the keys from hell itself, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us, those who profess Christ is Lord, now lives in us, that there's no temptation that is so great that it's not common to man that can so easily overtake us that, Lord, we cannot find a way of an escape through Christ Jesus. Help us to hold on to those promises. Thank you for the hope that we ultimately have. We're not hopeless. The struggle we face today is not hopeless when we're in Christ Jesus. So help us to fix our eyes on him. We just thank you for this time, for this message, Lord, and we just give you the glory now. In Jesus, Jesus' name, we ask these things. And if you believe that this morning, I want you to I want to hear a good amen this morning from the 830 crowd. Amen. Let's give the Lord just thank him for his word today. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front. God bless you. Go in God's grace today. Have a wonderful day.